Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. It is time for the Blue Gold Report. I am Mike Rags, going to bring your co-host in here, Todd Burlidge, in a second. Blue Bo- Blue Gold Report podcast is always brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Wherever you found us, make sure you rate and review us and uh, you uh, subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. And if you found us on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM in Fort Wayne, Welcome aboard. Well, we've got a busy week, even though Notre Dame football, nothing really much has happened. We'll get you even closer to the Cotton Bowl. We've got uh, Clemson from the Notre Dame side and Clemson from the Clemson side. We're going to break down the team uh, and, and what you need to know for the big game coming up on the 20, what is it, the 29th? Todd, is it the 29th or the 20? I can't even keep track on when these all these bowl games are. <laughs> I think they start this week and actually yeah 29th regs 29th uh, we'll actually uh, recap you know it's award ceremony too uh, major awards uh, and uh, we've got some and uh, an early signing day preview straight ahead as well uh, yeah you can never stop thinking about the future even though you've got uh, hopefully two more big games to play and of course we've got some hoops and hockey to get to but you've heard him there he confirmed the date of the game it's so far away I can't even keep track of when it is Todd Burlidge how you doing my friend Doing all right, yeah. Four p.m. It's the first of the doubleheader on uh, the 29th. Yeah, said Todd. Of course, uh, writer for Blue Gold Illustrated. Of course. Uh, all right, Todd. Well, uh, kind of an uneventful week, and we'll get. I mean, most of the news that came out was the awards that they were winning. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. Todd always starts off the show with Blue Gold Nuggets, and I believe he has four of them for us today. Todd, what's up? Yeah, a couple of more are even combo nuggets. Um, let's start with the Forbes list is out of most lucrative um, when it comes to revenue um, football programs in the country. Now, this is based on really your sales, what you bring in, um, plus your television money and all that. And Notre Dame came in at number seven. I believe that slid them. On, uh, that, I think that was a little bit of a slide for them. Uh, their profit is seventy-two million. Their revenue is one hundred twelve million. This is based on revenue. This list here: Oklahoma was number six, one hundred eighteen million. Ohio State, one hundred twenty million at number five. Number four, Alabama, one hundred twenty-seven million. Number three, Michigan, one hundred twenty-seven million. Number two, Texas, who I would have thought would have been number one. Number two, Texas is one hundred thirty-three million, and there's no way you'll guess who number one is, Rags. But give it a whirl. Yeah, uh, tell me. Texas A&M. I would have never guessed that. No, that one surprised me big time. So those are your most lucrative football programs out there. Moving on to a little basketball news, Rags. Uh, A couple notes here. Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame member, former Notre Dame player, and now current Notre Dame assistant coach, Beth Cunningham. Uh, She is now one of nine. She's one of a dozen inductees. She'll be an inductee into the... Sorry, man. I'm struggling here. All right. Let me start over here. Start over. Moving on to a couple of basketball notes. Beth Cunningham, she played here at Notre Dame. Uh, fine career, as a matter of fact. She scored more than 2,100 points. <laughs> Not too shabby there. Um, she Now she has been an assistant coach under Muffet since 2012. She's in the ring of honor inside Purcell Pavilion. And now she's going to be one of 12 inductees into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. So good for her. She played for Bloomington South as well and was actually an All-American, high school All-American down there back in the day. So congratulations to her on the men's side. Mike Bray will be featured 
profiled in the first episode of NCAA Men of March. It's um, it's a special they run every year. It's uh, CBS Sports Network. This will run Monday, December 17th at 7.30 p.m. Pretty cool to sit down. They'll talk about Bray's career, what it's meant, where it's going, how he's evolved. I saw a little clip. There's a trailer actually online you can find. Again, it's called NCAA Men of March, and Mike Bray will be the, it's in the first episode. They're going to profile him. Obviously, Mike Bray's in his 19th season here. That's hard to believe for sure. Interesting little football note here, I thought. Jack Kaiser, he's a Notre Dame commit. He's a linebacker from Pioneer High School, which is just a little bit south of here, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a single-A school. He actually became the first winner of Indiana's Mr. Football as a single from a single-A school. So a small school guy making good. And you'll see why exactly this happened when you start to look at some of his uh, <laughs> some of his impressive numbers. Yeah, uh, you call him a linebacker. He's a two way player. He is a quarterback who runs the ball almost every time he has the ball. The kid is crazy. <laughs> yeah, he is six two, two hundred fifteen pounds, and that he, he led them to two back to back state titles, including this year where they won the championship game sixty to nothing over North Vermillion. Um, this year, led by Kaiser on defense as the linebacker. They pitched 11 shutouts in 15 games. They outscored their opponents 936 to 39. Defensively, you had 159 total tackles, seven interceptions, six forced fumbles, and five fumble recoveries. Offensively, Rags, he threw for 1,183 yards with 18 touchdowns. But as you mentioned, he also rushed for 2,109 yards, 44 TDs uh, on the ground for his career, 3,771 passing yards with 59 uh, touchdown passes, 7,364 rushing yards with 139 TDs there. And on defense, 424 total tackles, 22-0 interceptions. He is an early enrollee uh, as well for Notre Dame. So looking forward to getting him in. Still some growing to do, uh, but certainly uh, a player to watch up the line. Last one of your Blue Gold Nuggets here. The Echoes Awards were handed out last week, uh, Friday night. The banquet there, the annual banquet. Not going to run them all down because I think they give about 88 awards at this thing. But your MVP was Ian Book. Offensive Player of the Year, Miles Boykin. Defensive Player of the Year, Tavon Coney. Uh, Let's see, Next Man In Award. That's kind of the guy that uh, maybe got kind of dumped on a little bit but kept his head in the game. That goes to Brandon Wimbush. No surprise here, Rockney Student Athlete Award. For the third straight year, that goes to Drew Tranquil. Uh, defensive lineman of the year, Jerry Tillery. No surprise there. He led the team with eight sacks. Offensive lineman of the year, Sam Mustafer. Steady as they come. Special teams player of the year. Again, no surprises here. Place kicker Justin Yoon. Uh, Notre Dame's all-time leading scorer now. Offensive newcomer of the year, Dexter Williams. I didn't really consider him a newcomer since he's a senior and he's played every year since he's been here, but they're calling him a newcomer. He did bust on the scene, I guess, a little bit this year with 941 yards and 12 touchdowns. And finally, your defensive newcomer of the year. Again, a well-deserved honor for Alohi Gilman. 76 total tackles and so much more in terms of leadership and just big playability. And those are your blue gold nuggets. All right, Todd, uh, let's talk about the game. Now we got a lot of time to talk about this game. Everybody, you know, it's weird. The actually X's and O's and who do you think is going to win, you don't really see much of that with the talking heads leading up to it just yet. There's a lot of bowl games to play before that. But we wanted to kind of take a look at the, you know, what – Clemson offers uh, Notre Dame uh, on that side of the, you know, on both sides of the ball. And what's all this prep going to be like as you've got a couple weeks off before you head down to Dallas? 
Yeah, um, Media Day is tomorrow, Saturday. We record on Friday here, um, so we'll get a few more quotes and a better feel. It's been quiet with finals last week. There was no access to any of the players. Brian Kelly popped out after practice on Saturday, and we'll hear a little bit of that as we move forward here. They did make one tweak to the schedule. Originally, the team was he was going to cut them loose on the 21st to go home for a couple days, and then the team was going to meet on the 24th down in Dallas. And again, you co- you go your separate ways, but the kids are responsible to get themselves to Dallas then, and then they'll all obviously fly back together after the game. Brian Kelly moved that up a day. He's going to cut them loose on the 20th now and report on the 23rd. He said he did that just so they can kind of spend Christmas Eve together instead of turning that into a travel day. Plus, they have the early p- practice slot once they get down there, so he just thought it was a good idea uh, to get situated a day earlier. Um Brian Kelly said it, it feels like spring ball to him, Rags. He didn't really exactly know. It's it's a little bit new to him, even though at Grand Valley State, obviously he coached in a lot of tournaments like this, playoffs and whatnot. But at the same time, he said it's really taken on a spring feel. That's how they're treating it. The practices they had, they had two of them. They had one last Saturday and then one on Sunday. It was all the front-line guys. If you were a third stringer, you weren't involved. It was the twos. It was the ones and the twos getting all the work. He wants to see what he has. He wants to get those guys back in football shape. You know, been traveling around, doing award shows, doing this and that. And Brian Kelly talked about what it was like. You know, he's been out and about too, coach of the year awards, and, and being with his players and whatnot. So he was kind of asked, you know, is it nice to kind of get back into that football routine? I like doing this a whole lot better than being on the road, um, sleeping in hotels, and uh, going to award shows where. We should get the awards, but we don't. I'm looking forward to being with my team. I mean, that's 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 the fun part about it, right? In terms of you know getting with the guys. You know, we had a great banquet last night. That was a great celebration of our seniors and uh, their accomplishments this year. And you know, just getting back out there with the guys are obviously, you know, excited with a great deal of energy. So you know, that's energizing. You know, as a coach to go back out there with your your team and and uh, you know watch them run around here today with so much energy and so in really being uh honest with you very very purposeful um very intentional i mean this is does not feel like in any way um any other practice in a postseason that i've been part of um very uh very locked in uh, and, and purposeful in terms of their work so it was as a coach that's that's as good as it gets Hey Todd, can you transfer the beginning of that clip for me? Uh, has he? Has, who's he slamming there? As far as uh, not getting awards, being nominated but not getting it, is there something specific that he was talking to or alluding to that we should be reading into? Probably Jim Thorpe Award not going to uh, Julian Love. Yeah, um, Julian, good point. Yeah, I think that's probably what he was getting at more than anything. And, and I, 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 to be honest with you, I'm having a tough time disagreeing with him, Rags. It's no doubt about it. Now next year, let's see if 2019 we can make a little run at a Heisman Trophy Award. Uh, what do we, you know, obviously we a lot of people and fans know of Clemson. This is a major team. This is, you know, this is the likes of Ohio State and Alabama yeah, now, Todd. This, right? is not, this is not your your father's Clemson team. This is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal, and that's what's made it interesting this week. Is I've gotten it. Tim Priester actually asked uh, Coach Kelly about it. About is Clemson overrated? And I can't believe we're hearing that, but indeed, that's kind of that's kind of what we're getting. So when I started hearing stuff about Clemson being overrated, I decided to kind of dig in a little bit deeper here, Rex. They've been to four straight playoffs, first and foremost, 
And during those four straight years, that includes this year, uh, the 13-0 and mark this year, during those four seasons, Rags, they're 53-4. and um, In 2015, their only loss was to Alabama in the title game. In 16-17, they lost to Pitt during the regular season, but ended up winning the national championship. Uh, in 17-18, last season, they lost two games. They lost to Syracuse at Syracuse during the regular season and then lost to Alabama in the semis. And obviously, it remains to be seen what they do in 18-19. But, you know, Dabo Swinney, he has this going on, man. He, he The recruiting is in a, in a great place. And I don't know how it happened. I don't want to call him overrated, but... Rags, they, they almost seem like a sort of an overnight success. You know, they went from, to me, a pretty irrelevant program uh, to, like you said, now obviously one of the best, if not the best, in the country. It's, it just seems strange that it happened so fast. Yeah, it's almost like step aside Florida State and Miami. This is right. the new Florida State and Miami. We're in control of this conference. Well, and, and BK was asked, and some of this goes to that overrated stuff, a little bit of that, but he was just kind of asked what makes Clemson so darn good. I mean, obviously, the consistency that he's shown is has been amazing. Um, you know, the last four years, you know, being in the playoffs and winning the ACC, um, you know, just has built a really strong culture of success and winning. You know, I, I, I would point to a couple of things. One, um, you know, they've, they've kept their players in their program. Um, you don't see a lot of guys leaving early. Um, they stay. So uh, that, that environment, that culture is, is, is one where guys don't get up and leave early. They play in all their games. Uh, that says a lot to what he's built um, as the head coach. And, and certainly uh, those guys really enjoy being there. I would not be on the overrated train. And it's interesting a uh, case of whether or not this is a job for life for Dabo. I mean, right. because, you know, you'd think, in theory, there are more glamorous jobs in coaching in Clemson, a uh, head coach at Clemson, and he obviously has earned his chops, but um, he's built Clemson to be that glam job, so maybe stay. Yeah, you're right, and and with the work he's done now, they're pumping a bunch of money into the facilities, so you know he's not lacking in that front by any stretch of the imagination either. The administration is all in into this football program, and that makes you and you know you you know there's really not a whole heck of a lot around there. You're no. really the only game in town, and there's nothing wrong with that in a lot of respects. So when you're kind of revered in the way Swinney is. It, it can be tough to leave, you know, because there's no there's no promises once you walk out that door that things are going to go as well. You know, he's still a young guy, forty nine. So he's tell young, him. yeah, yeah. And, and he's so, and he's getting six point seven five million through two thousand twenty four. So his contract's locked up. That's a ton of money, uh, yeah. and it goes to show you how well college football is doing right now when these kind of programs can pay that type of money for a head coach and assistant coaches are getting paid a heck of a lot as well. Uh, it it you know it. it it doesn't look like he's leaving anytime soon, and we'll, and it doesn't look like Clemson's going to go away either. No, when you're making the playoffs every year, what, I mean, what, what else is there? Obviously, the NFL may call, but you're winning titles. You're going to title games. So while it may not have the ring as an Alabama or something like that, certainly it should. All right, Todd, let's talk about the roster now and uh, how we are set up for, I mean, you had mentioned uh, some of the uh, Echo Awards and all that stuff uh, in your nuggets. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of talk of uh we, you brought it up earlier about uh notre dame getting snubbed a bit uh let's talk about these awards and what it could potentially mean uh in 2019 I, i'm curious your thoughts on ian book heisman run for next year 
Yeah, certainly he's going to be uh, among the leading candidates in the preseason. There's no way you can uh, take that away from him. It's interesting, Rex, because I have a poster at home of the seven Heisman Trophy winners in Notre Dame's history, and it's autographed by all seven of them. So my thought was, okay, I'm going to sit on this until I honestly think that somebody could become the eighth, and then they won't be on the poster, <laughs> and the poster will... <laughs> uh, we'll lose some of its value, so maybe I should sell it now. But I think Ian Book will certainly be in that conversation. There's no reason he shouldn't be. Um, but as far as the more current guys that are haul- that really had a nice haul during this awards season, I mentioned Julian Love. First of all, I thought he should have won the Thorpe Award. He did not. But I think more importantly, it, it, it was too bad. He missed by one. How they do this, Rags, there's five different... All-American teams. And if you can be a first-teamer on all five, you're considered a unanimous All-American yep. in the way Quentin Nelson was last year. If you make three of the five or more, three or four, um, then you're a, a uh, you're a consensus All-American. And Julian Love, unfortunately, felt just one of those short. He was a first-teamer on four. He missed out. He was a second-teamer on the American Football Coaches Association, the last one to be, to be named. Um, so he he ends up a consensus All American, not a unanimous all unanimous All American, but not too shabby there. Uh, he is the actually the first cornerback uh, to become uh, that that consensus All American since Shane Walton did it all the way back in two thousand two. So uh, really nice season for Julian Love, and then uh, Sam Mustafer. He was a second teamer on that same All American team uh, that I just mentioned, uh, the American Football Coaches Association. So once all this was said and done, Jerry Tillery, Tavon Coney, Julian Love, Sam Mustafer, they were all All-Americans of some sort. And so now we move forward here after all the awards and all the hoopla of that is finished up. And we start to look at the roster a little bit now, Rags. Um, you're allowed to submit five names to the NFL for evaluation, and they come back with either one of three things. You're a potential first-round draft pick. You're a potential second-round draft pick, or you're neither. They, they don't get all fancy into breaking you down as a player. They just send you back one of those three terms. <laughs> um, so Brian Kelly said that he sent a full list of five players. Now, he wouldn't divulge that list. He said he used to do it, but he felt like some of the guys were a little bit uncomfortable having their name put out there, so he doesn't want to do that anymore. Here are some of the things we can probably logically guess. I would think Julian Love would be one of the five. I think defensive end Khalid Kareem and Julian O'Quara, I think they were a couple other juniors there. These are all juniors we're talking about. And wide receiver Chase Claypool, because this is all reserved for guys that actually have eligibility remaining. Typically, it's underclassmen and juniors and whatnot that get this evaluation. It's not for graduated seniors um, with no eligibility left. Um, So those are the logical guests. Miles Boykin, even though he was a senior this year, he still has another year of eligibility. He's going to be the interesting one to watch. Aloha Gilman, he has two years of eligibility still, um, but he certainly is in line uh, to have that evaluation if he asks for it. And another potential candidate, Troy Pride Jr., another cornerback, another fine cornerback for Notre Dame. So five of that list is going to be your guys. Now, we do a couple things we also know is that Alizé Mack is gone. He's, once he accepted that, he has a year of eligibility left, but once he accepted the invitation to the Senior Bowl, we know he's not coming back, okay? So, And Sean Crawford, the cornerback, oft-injured cornerback, he's actually said that he's coming back for a fifth year as well. Those are the ones we know for sure. Chris Fink has indicated he's probably coming back, wide receiver, and Trevor Rulin, the offensive lineman. So I think what we have here, we have Sean Crawford, Chris Fink, and Trevor Rulin. Those are three, uh, three fifth-year seniors we can expect. Asmar Bilal, he's another rover linebacker. He would have a fifth-year 
Micah Dutreadway, the defensive lineman, he would have a fifth year, as would Brandon Wimbush. I don't expect to see Wimbush back. Treadway, he's really slid down the depth chart. He's, I think he is another good candidate to take his grad transfer year somewhere else. Asmar Bilal, I think with the way he played this year as a starter, I think we could definitely see he him come back. Uh, he, he might very well be back. That's kind of what it looks like, Rags, between the guys that might leave for the NFL and then the guys who are kind of deciding whether or not to come back for a fifth season. That's where all that stands. But Brian Kelly did kind of break down about how they were very proactive with this NFL stuff because they didn't want it to become a distraction during the season. We've been proactive. We, we begin this process in their spring uh, senior year, and we lay out a timetable so we don't get into um, distractions. So, you know, we've, we've had some success with, with players that have had to answer these kinds of questions of, you know, when do I deal with the agent, how do I deal with it. So we take the time in spring to sit down with all of our guys and talk through a timetable as to how to handle it and how we will help them with it. Um, so they're in no uh, stressful situation as we prepare um, right now. Their parents can handle any decisions for them relative to representation. We will handle um, uh, evaluations for them and, and inquiries. Um, so they know that we'll put them in the best position moving forward and they can focus on what's most important. You know, it's interesting with this process, Todd, and I wonder how much politicking is going on with parents and players and, hey, Brian, am I one of the guys? Can you make me one of the guys? I mean, I wonder how much lobbying is actually going on to get evaluated uh, beyond what Brian Kelly and his staff have to go through. Yeah, you're exactly right because, you know, the cap is five. So who gets in and who who doesn't get in? It's almost like getting cut. It is, and I thought it was interesting because I didn't know I didn't really know a lot of this, so I learned something about how all this works. So, you know, when you're talking about roster management, they're going to enter spring ball way over that 85 scholarship limit, way over as they typically do. Attrition tends to take care of things um, in, in a variety of different ways, um, but but it's you know with a bit another big recruiting. They brought in a 27 man recruiting class here uh, in 18. They have 21 already ready to go here in 19. So. There's going to have to be some trimming down and some different things. And so that's why it was kind of interesting to have him talk about as much as he could the fifth-year guys and the NFL guys. So that's going to be something to watch. That's always an ongoing storyline that plays out, obviously, from once this season ends all the way up until uh, basically the start of training camp. All right, uh, let's real quick, before we get to hoops and hockey here, talk about early signing day. Not one of my favorite parts of the year, I've got to be honest with you. I hate these things, but uh, it is a uh, necessary evil to get kids to commit. What do we know uh, before Wednesday? Well, it's no. I've never been a huge recruit, Nick. I just haven't been. Um, but I found signing day kind of fun because of all the drama, guys. That you know, where's where's his facts? You know, he did, where's his letter of intent? What's yeah, going that, on here? That's where why is, I where hate it? it. That's why I hate it. But th- See, I, that's I, why I like. Yeah, it, but I get this, it. But, but this early signing day, uh, early signing period, I guess I should say, because it's going to run from Wednesday through Friday of next week. Um, it's just taken a lot of that out. Okay, let's back up to last year. They had 18 verbal commitments in Notre Dame last year. All 18 of them signed at this time last year. All 18 of them signed on early signing day. And then they actually added three more on that particular day. So that was a little bit of drama, a little bit of uh, excitement. And then they added six more in the regular signing day in February for a class of 27. This this class here, the 2019 class, sets up exactly the same. 
21 players all are expected to sign on, on early signing day this Wednesday. This is a little bit of a different dynamic because this class is about full. I mentioned 27-member uh, class last year, 21 this year. I don't think there's going to be a lot. They'll save some spots for some of the top players, obviously, if they want to jump ship and come to Notre Dame. But I don't think they're going to hold a lot of spots until February. So I think if you want to go to Notre Dame, your best bet is to go ahead and sign uh, next week. Now, meanwhile, Brian Kelly, Clark Lee, and Jeff Quinn, obviously the head coach, the defensive uh, coordinator, and the offensive uh, defensive line, offensive line coach, sorry about that, they're heading to uh, Gibson, Gibsonia, Pennsylvania, to visit offensive tackle Andrew Christoffick. He's one of the best in this recruiting class. They would just want to make darn sure he's he's going to sign on the dotted line um, come Wednesday. The, the, the nice thing about the early signing period, Rags, there, there are a few things. It does help coaches clarify the numbers game. They know what they have, and now they can chase until February to fill in the blanks around it. That's nice. I understand why the coaches would love this. Um, and obviously, if you have a few targets you really want to go after leading into February, you have all the resources and all the time now to do it because all your other guys are in the bank. So um, I, I think for the coaches, it's an it's a really a, a just kind of, it, it eases their mind a little bit instead of having to re-recruit all these guys all the way till February. So I think from a coach's standpoint, it's a great thing. But I think from a fan standpoint, especially those who really love signing day and really love recruiting, it's it's diminished this um, this whole procedure a little bit. All right, Todd, uh, before we get out of here, let's talk uh, other sports. Uh, the Notre Dame men's basketball team, it's kind of been a slow week. they got finals and stuff. The big Crossroads Classic is coming up this weekend against Purdue down at uh, Lucas, uh, sorry, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, Lucas Oil Stadium. Well, that'd be a hell of a draw. Uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse. <laughs> uh, so that's always going to be a lot of fun. I really don't like that matchup for them uh, with Carson Edwards and, and the likes. Uh, but uh, let's go back a bit. Uh, last weekend, uh, they came roaring back and they made it a fight. Uh, they were down early at UCL. LA, but uh, ended up falling short and falling to six and three. Yeah, two straight losses here. And you mentioned the tough game against Purdue. Although Purdue's struggling a little bit too. They Purdue's are. They are six and four. They've lost four of six. I was a little bit surprised to see. But yeah, in the UCLA game, Notre Dame was down thirty nine twenty six in the second half. Storm back uh, with a twelve zero run at one point, and actually took a fifty seven fifty three lead. Mm-hmm. And they were even up sixty two fifty seven. Notre Dame was inside of four minutes, but. Uh, UCLA came storming back on its own and then hit a buzzer beater. Um, so, again, I think the growing pains show up here. It's such a young team. They don't quite know how to win. They don't know how to finish these games yet. That will come with time, but well, uh, not a frust- lot of people have a ton of patience. So. Yeah, the frustrating thing is is that uh, neither team shot well. If they were making any shot, they would have won that game. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, Rex Fluger, and during his homecoming, uh, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. So he was probably the best player for Notre Dame. And that uh, game, indeed, Saturday in Indianapolis against Purdue. It's a 1.30 p.m. start, and it'll be on CBS. All right, and you got the women's team. They've got, uh, what do they got coming up? Toledo, uh, right? Uh, so, I mean. They're already done with Toledo. Oh, they played they play Toledo. I, 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 yeah. I, I still haven't rebounded from the Connecticut loss. <laughs> yeah, they'll play Binghamton uh, home game on Sunday, 1 p.m., and then Western Kentucky, another home game next Wednesday. That's a night game. Obviously, the Binghamton game is a 1 p.m. start on Sunday. Backing up, Toledo didn't really have, just kind of grinded away. Very methodical approach. 72-56. That that was a road game. That was actually at Toledo. Uh, Jackie Young, 14 points, 10 boards. It's her seventh career double-double. Arike Ogumbawale, 22 points. Jessica Shepard, 16 points, 8 boards. 
Marina Mabry, 11 points. So, again, um, the frontline girls getting it done for sure for Notre Dame. And I know, you know, you look forward to these big matchups like UConn and Tennessee and Mississippi State and, and Baylor and whatnot. And then the rest of it, it's just... It's it's just kind of boring, <laughs> you know. You get especially now when you're waiting for the ACC schedule to start, and that's going to be that's going to hold true the men's side too. They'll play this Purdue game, and then there's about three or four cupcakes uh, the rest of December until they get to the ACC schedule at the first of the year. All right, uh, Todd, and then uh, you talk about the hockey team. They split over the weekend. A, a great game early. They win five four, and then they just got shellacked in the second game. Yeah, nine to one. So they split with Penn State. Stand at eleven wins, five losses, one tie. They're five wins, three losses, no ties in the Big Ten. So they're still in the running for that title. Obviously, uh, they get a little time off. The hockey team they don't they won't play again until December thirty first. Um, that's when BC comes to town. Um, so that'll be a hot game. That's always been a good rivalry in both football and hockey. And I think everybody's really anticipating then the following game. Then January fifth, that's Michigan. At Notre Dame, at the stadium, at the football stadium. Yep. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to that as well. Still plenty of tickets available. That that might be worth checking out. Maybe keep an eye on the weather. But uh, sounds like a fun day for sure. And that's in preparation, of course, of the Blackhawks. Uh, and uh, Weezer is actually going to be in town. How about that there, Todd? Man, how about that? Yeah, actually that, uh, that um, winter classic NHL game between the Bruins and the Blackhawks that's on January 1st, right. so Notre Dame's just keeping the rink up so they can kind of enjoy it, too, which I thought was a good idea. If you're going to go to all the trouble to put an ice rink in a football stadium, you may as well get more than one game out of it, get right? Get as much use out of it as possible. Yeah, that's going to be fun on New Year's Day. Todd, we are out of time, my friend. Uh, we'll do it all over again next week. The Blue Gold Report podcast being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Make sure you uh, rate and review us and share us with all your friends, and most importantly, subscribe. Todd, I'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, Rags. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.